Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends, and welcome to the pod. I want to hit you guys up with a pretty deep question right off the bat. And then I want to spend some time looking at maybe the answer or some answers to this question from the Word of God. I think if you have been paying attention to what's happening in our country over the last four to six months, some of the chaos that has been brought on by the civil unrest. And there's a lot of factors in this. There's the coronavirus uh, pandemic and the resultant lockdowns. There is the race relations uh, that seem to be happening between um, blacks and whites in America. There is a matter of class warfare that's going on in America. There is what I would call a cultural Marxism, a cultural revolution that is being waged in the war of American streets in American cities, and it's also being waged in the war of the airwaves, the national media, I personally believe is complicit in uh, fanning the flames of the war that's going on. And the end result of this unrest, the end result of all this pressure that is being brought to bear upon our society is that we as believers are going to have to determine what line we will not cross. In other words, what is the correct hill for us to die on when it comes to resisting resisting the philosophy, the ideology, and perhaps even if it comes to this, tyrannical acts of governing authorities. At what point are we willing to resist in our quest to stand for truth, to be the church, which is the pillar and support of the truth? If you're really tuned in, you'll know that Dr. John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, California, has come under heavy criticism from many in the media, which is to be expected. But what is to be somewhat less expected is the criticism that he has received from so-called—I don't want to say so-called, because that makes it seem like they're not evangelicals, but— they're evangelicals. They were people who are his friends, are people who have done ministry with him. And he's he's come under criticism from them as well, because Grace Community Church has not submitted to the orders of L.A. County Health Department. And if you're following this case, you'll know that four times— the health department has brought a charge against the Grace Community Church and John MacArthur, and four times the courts have ruled in the church's favor, saying that the county is 
violating and infringing upon the First Amendment rights of the church. But it continues to happen. It continues to happen. And, you know, MacArthur is not a newbie. All right, let's let's say it that way. He's been around for a long time. He's experienced national scrutiny and national criticism. He has a track record of standing up for the Word of God on important matters from the Word of God and being able to weather criticism. But MacArthur's done that over the last 40 to 50 years. He didn't just start his ministry that way. It was something that he grew into as his faith grew, as his preaching grew, as his convictions grew. And so now he's willing to withstand all of this national scrutiny for the church's actions. All that to say, there are many churches and many pastors who do not have the notoriety of MacArthur, who are perhaps as faithful as MacArthur, but who have never once been underneath the kind of scrutiny that comes when you begin to defy governmental authorities and the national media begins to turn their attention upon you and the national media and others who maybe you thought were your allies seem to shrink away and kind of leave you on the front lines of the battlefield and you look around and you're saying, there's not very many people here, not as many as I expected. I bring this whole situation up not to dissect it from a perspective of what's right or what's wrong. Um, Obviously, I don't know MacArthur's situation or Grace Community Church's situation uh, as thoroughly as some others might, but here's what I will say about their example and their testimony. They have determined that the issue that they are being asked to conform to by the state of California and the L.A. County Health Department is a violation of the Word of God. And they have chosen to act according to Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, where Peter and John and the other apostles say to the Pharisees, it is better for us to obey God than to obey men. I believe that's how they're acting. I believe if they thought there was any way that they could obey the orders of the state and of the county without disobeying the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would indeed comply. And the proof of that is in the fact that they, for 21 weeks, closed their building and went to online-only services during the most uncertain time of the COVID-19 pandemic. What this means to me, or what we should take away from this, is that the issue has stopped being about health, and it has started to be about control and authority. And I, if you follow our YouTube page, uh, I, I taught a Wednesday night lesson about three or four weeks ago on honoring authority and submitting to human governments, you should go check that out. It's on our our YouTube page, Grace Brethren Chapel on YouTube. 
if you haven't already. But what I think has happened for MacArthur and the elders who are with him and Grace Community Church, and we are finding out other churches in California, the spheres of authority have begun to overlap too much. You see, God has ordained various authorities. There's a governmental authority. There's an ecclesiastical authority. There's an authority in the husband-wife relationship, and there's authority within the family. There are other various civil authorities, civil authorities as well. What's happened is that the governmental authority, the state of California, the L.A. County Department of Health, have usurped the authority of Jesus Christ by telling the church that they can't meet. But Jesus Christ says the church should meet, and it's important for the church to meet, and it's critical for the church to meet. And so MacArthur and the elders have been put in a situation where they're saying, whose authority do we obey? Whose commands are most important? And I believe they want to act according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13, and they want to do everything that they can to be in compliance with the governing authorities. But I believe that they found themselves in a situation where compliance to the governing authorities violates God's word, and therefore they have chosen to obey the greater authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I previously mentioned, MacArthur and his church have been nationally known for a long time, so he understands the pressure of how his decision will impact him, his church, uh, the other elders, and what an encouragement it will be to some churches and how some other churches will look at him and wrongly malign him for the choice that he's making. But let's take a step back away from that third-party scenario. I'm just laying that out there for you to say, here's a man who's been faithful to the Word of God. Here's a church that's been faithful to the Word of God, and they were asked to make a choice between obeying the ecclesiastical authority, who is Jesus Christ, he is the head of the church, and the governing authority, which was established by God. They chose to obey Jesus Christ. Let's put it into the realm of you and your church, or you and your personal walk with Jesus Christ. What line will you draw? At what point will you say, I will no longer obey governing authorities because they are violating God's word, or what they are asking me to do is in violation of God's word? I got off the phone with a colleague of mine today, and he was talking to some of our missionary pastors in a, in a country that's outside of the United States. Obviously, a country is outside the United States, in a foreign country. And he was telling me that this man and several uh, other pastors are going to be having a meeting to decide whether they should go ahead and have church again, even though their government has said, you can't have church. The country's totally locked down. And this pastor was like, well, it doesn't make sense because there's only been 25 deaths due to COVID-19. 
in a country of 43 million people, and yet the whole country is locked down and we can't go to church? These brothers are going to have to make a very serious choice. Are they going to obey God? Are they going to obey the government? Now, I don't know all the particulars of their situation, but this is the conversation that they are having. Do we obey God and gather the flock together and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or do we obey the government? If they choose to gather together, there's a great possibility that some of them could be thrown into jail. And I don't think that uh, being in jail in a third world country is a great place to be. In fact, I'm sure that it's not. I've seen some of their jails. Let's bring it back again to you, the believer, the individual. Is your commitment to Christ great enough that you are willing to risk persecution? Are you willing to risk losing your job? Are you willing to risk being ostracized and made fun of, mocked? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stand for the truth when the truth is a very unpopular opinion? You may say, we're still far away from that. Are you? I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast on Black Lives Matter. Go back and listen to that podcast and understand what you're really saying if you affirm Black Lives Matter. That organization. See, they've done a great trick with semantics, as I explained in the podcast. You can't say you're standing in solidarity with black people by saying Black Lives Matter. Because what you're really saying is you're in agreement with the organization Black Lives Matter. And that organization is all about the destruction of the nuclear family. That organization is all about the destruction of heteronormative relationships. That organization is all about what I would consider to be cultural Marxism. And that is their stated purpose and their stated goal. So as a Christian, let's say you're at a workplace and at a staff meeting or something like that, you're encouraged to raise your fist, the black power symbol, as a sign of solidarity with Black Lives Matter and the racial injustices that are happening in America. Are you going to raise it? I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do, but you should think about what you're going to do, and you should think about the consequences of your action or inaction. And all of these thoughts need to be filtered through the Word of God. Who do I want to please the most? Who is the most important? You know, I love... um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's a, a verse that has always been an encouragement to me. And it's really, you know, it's kind of an ironic verse to find to be encouraging. Let me read it to you. It's in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be 
persecuted. Yeah, if you want to be godly, you can expect persecution. If you want to stand for the truth, you can expect that other people who maybe were your close friends will abandon you. If you want to obey and honor Christ, you are going to suffer some serious personal consequences. And look, Paul's not saying this uh, in, in a casual way. It's a promise. It's not like, well, this might happen. No, this is a promise. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And look what's going to happen. The the following verse is really fascinating as well. Verse 13 says this, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, if that doesn't describe the conversations that are happening in our culture right now, I don't know what is. Evil people and imposters. All right? So I think we have some legitimately evil people who are in positions of power. But I think we also have some imposters who are in positions of leadership in the evangelical world. And these imposters, they're not true servants of Christ. They are servants of Satan. They are the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. And I don't think that it's necessarily important to name names at this particular time, but I think that it's important as a Christian who values the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, to really keep your eye closely on some of the well-known national leaders in the evangelical movement. And here are some of the things that I think you ought to be aware of. If somebody in the evangelical movement starts advocating for the use of critical race theory in Bible interpretation, you should probably avoid that person. If somebody in the evangelical movement who's nationally known, who's a well-known person, or maybe they're not even a well-known person, somebody that you know, if you know a Christian who's advocating for the Black Lives Matter organization, you need to stay away from that person they are an imposter. Now, perhaps they are deceived, because that's what the text says. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the unique thing about lying. You can start believing a lie, and maybe you're not too far removed from the truth. But once you begin stacking lies upon lies upon lies, you get many degrees away from the truth. You're many layers away from the truth, and it's very difficult to know where the truth actually is any longer. So you can deceive yourself, you can deceive other people, and then you you yourself can be caught up in the deception, caught up in the lie. Paul gives this warning to Timothy in verse 14, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the real key. Are the things that you're listening to, 
from some well-known individual or perhaps even individuals in your family, in your local church, in your circle, are the things that you are listening to confirming the truth of the Word of God, or are they contradicting the truth of the Word of God? Now, I recognize that people can pervert the Word of God in numerous ways. There are a ton of ways that people pervert the Scriptures. But if you just were to say, let's examine this passage or this issue from a literal, grammatical, and historical context, what would the interpretation be? And if you have to do all kinds of gymnastics to get around literal, grammatical, and historical in order to come up with an interpretation, you ought to flee that particular interpretation. Words have meaning. Words have a definition. And the definition is set according to the boundaries of the language, the boundaries of the culture, and according to the author's intentionality. Now, I realize this isn't a very popular point. People don't want to read literature from the perspective of the author had an intention when he wrote this. He was trying to communicate something specific. I dealt with that in my entire career at Bowling Green State University. That's not a popular perspective. The popular way to interpret nowadays is to take a critical theory like feminism or the LGBTQ perspective or uh, some type of other historical perspective or deconstructionism. You take that critical theory and you place it on top of the work that you read and you say, well, we're going to interpret it according to this theory. This theory will give us wisdom. No, that's not what you're going to do. And the whole point of saying that is this. If somebody is deceiving you or saying things about the Word of God that don't quite seem right, then you need to say, what's your method of interpretation? What are you really trying to do here? You, as a believer, need to hold fast to the sacred writings. Hold firm to the Scripture. The Scriptures are clear. They are plain. They are easy to understand. There are some very complicated and complex truths in them, but by and large, the Scripture is easy to understand. Hold fast to the Scriptures. And as you hold fast to the Scriptures, I think that you will understand, or I hope that you will understand, where you need to draw the lines. Where do you need to draw the line so that you say, when this person or this entity crosses this line, I will not comply because what they're asking me to do is a violation of the Word of God, and I must honor my Lord Jesus Christ rather than this governing official or my friend or perhaps even a well-known pastor. I must honor the Word of God. My friend, what I want to say to you in summary is this. You must do the hard work to think these things through right now. What will the line be for you? 
What are the essential truths that you will not compromise and you will not forsake? You must know that. And it must be firmly established in your heart and mind. Because if it is not, if these truths are not firmly established, then you'll be tossed here and there in every other direction. And you'll have a really difficult time standing for the truth. My friends, our goal as believers ought to be to be pleasing to Jesus. And so let us commit in our heart to do whatever it is that we can to be pleasing to Christ. And that means that you need to establish right now the line in the sand, that if it is crossed, you will be willing to suffer persecution in whatever form it might come, in order that you can honor your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May you be strengthened and encouraged by these truths, and may you find your ultimate refuge in our Lord Jesus, who said that he would never leave us or never forsake us. 